You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Now you call my cat, he'll come full speed, then he'll put on the brakes, and he'll slide to a stop, and he realizes that he has to turn in his union card as a cat if he comes any farther. Author, critic, and animal rights activist Cleveland Amory. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. It was a cold and bleak Christmas Eve night in New York City many years ago when a stray cat in an alley found a new home with an unlikely host. His rescuer was, in fact, a crusty 60-year-old curmudgeon, an author and a TV and radio critic named Cleveland Amory. Well, Amory named his furry white companion Polar Bear. And in 1987, when Amory wrote a book called The Cat Who Came for Christmas, Polar Bear became an instant celebrity. Now, the interview you're about to hear was the first I did with Cleveland Amory, but not the last. We met several more times over the next few years. Turns out he's not such a curmudgeon after all, maybe? So here now from 1987, Cleveland Amory. True story of a cat I rescued, Bill, about 10 years ago on an alley in New York where he's being stoned by uh, kids. He had a cut on his uh, face and his mouth and a cut on his hip. He was, he'd had it that Christmas Eve. New York that Christmas Eve for me was best typified by the people at the garage that sent out the uh, Christmas card, Merry Christmas from the boys at the garage, second notice. And I don't know, there was something about that little guy that we, I was trying with a fellow rescuer to, to just save that cat. And event, I had thought I was going to give it to somebody else the next day that wanted a cat for their daughter for Christmas. But boy, when that woman came to collect it, everything she wanted, I said, wouldn't work. I said, white cats were terrible skin trouble. And and uh, does your daughter Jennifer wear glasses? Because last night it got me a terrible swipe in the side of the face. And I finally she looked at me and she said, Mr. Amory, when did you decide to keep the cat? I said from the first moment I saw it, I just, I don't know, it's a little like love, I guess. It, it happens at first sight every now and then. You are probably painfully aware, though, that there are a lot of people who would say if they saw an alley cat on Christmas Eve in New York, they'd say, the heck with the alley cat. Uh, I don't think that. You know, I think that, uh, I think that if you can rescue an animal... And the Fund for Animals that I founded has rescued an awful lot of animals, 6,000 burrows alone from Grand Canyon and Death Valley. And there's something about it, if you can save an animal, that no matter what kind you buy, or it, it'll never be quite the same thing. And if there's a message in the cattle came for Christmas, it's hire yourself down to your nearest shelter and take a look and realize you're saving one from destruction because you may go in for a golden retriever type mix dog and come out with a little black cat or you may go in for a, a tomcat and come out with a, a little puppy it doesn't really matter but find the one that appeals to you and I think we've proved nowadays Bill that not only a pet's good for you physiologically 
But as you get older and have aches and pains, anything you can do to be thinking of something else beside yourself, and that works for young people too. I mean, we're in a very self-serving, centered kind of world, and I think that there's something about the cat that is endlessly fascinating. Uh, Mark Twain once said if we could cross man and a cat, it would improve man, but it would deteriorate the cat. And the English humorist Jerome K. Jerome said that uh, we know enough of the general opinion cats have of humans to be very reluctant to hear the rest of it. And I think that it's that fact that they are so independent that they are domesticized to a point, but only to a point. They were the last animal. I have a whole history of cats in the in the uh, cat who came for Christmas, and I I found fascinating the fact that the dog, the deer, the uh, bear, the horse, every other animal we can, you know, quickly name was on Earth millennia before the cat. And all these distinguished anthropologists and anthologists have tried to figure out why. And I, who know everything, figured it out right away because it was that those animals were in the service of man. God, it's a wonder the cat ever showed up at all. There's one thing he won't be is he'll go only so far. And they say that 57% of the people that own cats talk to them, and I know exactly what the other 43% are doing. They're listening. You see the picture on the cover parade of Polar Bear and me, November 8th, and it showed him, you know, exactly looking for a place to go to in a strange studio and stop this stupid nonsense about being photographed. Well... I've, I've explained to him that he was going to be a celebrity, Bill, and it was very, very important that he lose a little weight, that the camera has an unkind way of putting on weight. And I took him to the window and I showed him the people jogging. And I said, we don't jog in New York the way they jog in California to be more attractive to the opposite sex. I wouldn't have mentioned that anyway because he's been neutered and that would be hitting below the belt. Instead of that, what I said was, he's got to go on a diet. Did he or did he not want to be the last fat cat in the world? Well, he does want to be the last fat cat. (laughs) He does not want to stop eating. If diet is on the can, he won't touch it. And he knows he'll win. He wins every fight. Here am I, six foot three, curmudgeon bachelor. He's six inches at best. We stand toe to toe, eyeball to eyeball, and it's who will blink first. Well, I mean, I, I, you can say that he wins every fight. It's nonsense. For example, let me give you the fight about water. He likes ver- horizontal water. He likes it in the basin. He likes it in the tub. He does not like vertical water. Rain, showers. All my life I've taken showers. Now, I didn't change because of him. I just decided the tubs really get you cleaner. Why is it that if a man owns a golden retriever or a dachshund or a beagle, he's considered, he's a man, that's a, that's a macho man, but a man who owns a cat is thought of in not quite the same light? Well, it's, it's definitely there. Jimmy Stewart came to the party for my book and I, uh, at, in Hollywood, the cat who came for Christmas, and he's an old friend, and he's got the most wonderful golden retrievers you ever saw in your life. The, the least behaved dogs, and Jimmy says, down, down, like this, and of course they're slobbering all over you on the couch, and and he said, it's funny, Cleveland, he said, they've been to obedience school, and I said, 
what did they learn, Jimmy, not to be rude about it? And he said, well, they didn't learn very much. He said, I was over there. They let you go, you know, if you stand upwind of them. I mean, a downwind, whatever it is, that they don't get the wind. Can't you see Jimmy over there with his dogs? And he said, but when they got back, the fellow said that they didn't learn too much, but they were the nicest dogs in the place. And I said, I can understand that. <laughs> but I, uh, Anyway, Jimmy read the book, and he said, I don't know much about cats, Cleveland, but I've learned a lot. And I, I think that people can be won over. The fun of... The fun, the perfect pet family, obviously, is a dog and a cat. And if you can have that and bring them up together, it is really, to my mind, the perfect cat family. They, at the same time, you should realize that the cat will always be boss. And I think my book starts out as anyone who has ever been owned by a cat knows. They, you don't own them. They own you. Hey, I, you, you just, you took the words right out of my mouth as soon as you said that. The, the, the talk about cat owners being owned. You, you can't own a cat. No, you can't, because it's the same way as you can't... Actually, we made a compromise. I had never had anything but dogs. I said that I liked an orderly world, and most men did, where when you said, come to an animal or hear to an animal, it came or it heard. And it came to your knee and stood there, and, blah, 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 and you patted it, and that was it. Now, you come call my cat, and it doesn't matter what name you give them. First place, they really never recognize their name anyway. I don't think it... Uh, I, it's just one of the things they won't do. But he'll come full speed, then he'll put on the brakes, and he'll slide to a stop, and he realizes that he has to turn in his union card as a cat if he comes any farther when I've called. So then he'll start washing himself, he'll consider, he'll look around, he'll take it up in committee, when just when I'm totally fed up, then he barrel into your lap. After this short break, the movie star, the polar bear, did obey. Now back to my 1987 interview with Cleveland Amory. Guy, when you were mentioning a few moments ago going to, and rescuing an animal, it, I'd, I've never seen the wisdom, I guess, of going to a, a, a pet store and plunking down two or three or four hundred dollars for an animal when you can go to the, to the pound or yeah, the shelter absolutely. and find an animal who's going who's gonna to be every bit as loving and, and, and useful to you as a pet as that animal that's sitting there that's been professionally bred in a tight little cage. And may not, and may even be because of the puppy mill exposés recently, maybe even diseased and all that. I think the mud have a, has a better disposition in both dog and cat. If you've got kids around, the mud is sort of more uh, psychologically able to than the inbreeding that's liable with the perfect look of it. And on top of it all, I'm not so sure they're any better looking. I'd put my polar bear in a cat show, except he didn't like cat shows, you know. He didn't like anything new, of course. The only thing new he likes is new books. He likes the sniff on them on the, on the jacket. That he likes. But new people, oh, I've tried. I've explained to him. I have a party. I have big celebrities like George Scott and Walter Cronkite coming to the party, I say, could you pull a bed just once, not go under the bed? It's embarrassing to me. I can't stand it. They are new people, yes, to you. But in your hermit's little soul, don't you realize that if they're new people now and you make half an effort, they will soon be people you already knew? No, sir, under the bed. So George Scott starts hollering, where's Polar Bear? 
I said, George, he doesn't like parties because all he sees is legs, and legs are not his favorite part of a human being, and he's under the bed. He said, I want to see him. Where's Polar Bear? Here, Polar Bear. I said, George, very patronizingly, it's not like your damn mastiffs that you say here and they come. Cats don't do that. So what do you mean they don't do that? Here, Polar Bear. Polar Bear comes out and all but salutes. <laughs> you never can tell about his foreign policy. <laughs> You've worked for so many years for animal rights. Have you made, has there been enough progress to please you? Well, I don't know if you're ever pleased and you're in such a thick of it that you don't really know. I think that certain areas, the size of the movement, the number of fine societies, and I don't mean just my own, which I hope is fine, called the Fund for Animals, but I, the International Fund for Animal Welfare by Brian Davies, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, Alex Pacheco and Ingrid Newkirk, and those are the two I'm closest to. I think the movement has some victories to show now and will have more. It has not been fast. Still, the the wildlife, for example, is totally controlled by the hunters and trappers. Reagan uh, appointed a fellow to be a head of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, Ray Arnett, who was distinguished in California when he was head of the Fish and Game for saying that the uh, only way to count the mountain lion was to shoot it. I guess we can be thankful that Reagan didn't appoint him head of the Census Bureau. But in any case, I, I think that that those areas have been tough going. Uh, the Navy here, for example, at the uh, Naval Surface Weapons Center, uh, we were down there the other day with Alex and Ingrid and myself, and uh, they decided in their infinite wisdom that the deer they have back of the fence there, it's quite a lot of acreage, uh, at best be handled by when they get too many of them to have an employee's bow hunt. And I was absolutely so infuriated with this that I described to the captain over there what a bow hunt was, particularly in, in amateur hands. And uh, the long and short of it is we're a uh, standoff at the moment. But I don't think they wanted to take on the two million or more people that were represented in that room as members at a time there in the Persian Gulf and have other things on their hands, and I don't think they wanted to be held up as murderers of these harmless deer, which the people around there love, you know? It, There's one in New York about a, a furrier named Christian Lacroix, who's been a big promoter of the bullfight, and his styles are all for the bullfight, and that's how I originally got in animal work. I was at a bullfight in Nogales, Mexico, working for a little paper called the Arizona Star. And I maintained my objectivity up until the last fight. And then when that matador was going around the ring with the two bulls, I, it was a wet day and the cushions were soggy. And I went down toward the railing as he came around. And I, Bostonians are not known for their pitching, as you will recall, Bill. We sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees for $1.50, thinking he was a pitcher. But anyway, I got down there, and I let this cushion go, and I fired, and I hit him right back of the ear, and he went down like a stone. It was the best feeling I ever had in my life. And all these people started, you know, moving, and I said, you're not going to do anything. There's hundreds of you, but you'd have to be a coward to like a sport like this. I was not pleased. Well, the animal rights thing is interesting. Uh, we It was working in Puerto Rico where it all came about, the uh, the young and Rubicam, the 
advertising people were having a convention down there, and they liked what we were doing, and, and they said to come see him. And when we got to New York, they said, what you need is a slogan. And um, they came up with Animals Have Rights Too, which we put on our bumper stickers and everything. And that's really the start of it. I was nervous about it then. I thought it sounded like a black put-down and that rights were so, so associated with blacks at that time. But we got very fond of it. Of course, I'm kind of fond of some of my own slogans too, which is my favorite, I think, is support your right to arm bears. We see an NRA car every now and then looking at this, and they think, isn't that great? You know, and then, they, <laughs> you know, a week later, maybe it dawns on them. They don't think very rapidly, and it dawns on them that maybe it wasn't good news. <laughs> Cleveland Amory died in 1998. He was 81 years old. Now, you can find all of our past episodes of Now I've Heard Everything at our website, heardeverything.com. And that's where, in fact, you'll be able to hear my interview with one of the people that Cleveland Amory just talked about, PETA co-founder Ingrid Newkirk. Children are very bright. They don't need to be shocked. They simply need to know that when they feel, Mommy, that isn't right, or Daddy, why do we do this, that there is a sensible answer. And if dogs are more your thing than cats, that's fine, too. You can find my interview with the dog whisperer, Caesar Milan. Dog park is Chuck E. Cheese. The dog park is not developed by dogs. Dog park is developed by humans who don't want to take a dog for a long walk. And, of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks for listening. Well, with this episode, we've now closed out Season 3 of Now I've Heard Everything. We'll be off next week, hoping you enjoy a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we'll start with Season 4 on Monday, January 3rd. I'm keeping it a little bit of a surprise who we're going to have as our guest on Episode 1 of Season 4. But trust me, you'll enjoy it, especially if you like going where no man has gone before. In the meantime, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year from Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.